Today is Saturday, July 22nd, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Episode 529 features Boston Sports Journal's and CLNS's very own Bobby Manning, and today's show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. All right, everybody. Evan Valenti with you here on Celtics Beat. Solo, no Kaufman. It's okay. Uh, Adam and I have been trying to trade a little bit off back and forth because, you know, it's summertime. Not a lot of crazy things are happening right now. We can give each other a little bit of a break. Kaufman's been plugging away. For I don't even know how many weeks straight at this point. It's important to me that he gets some rest and time off, spend with the family, the wife, the kids, all that stuff. And I am taking over solo here this week with CLNS's very own, of course, Boston Sports Journals as well. Bobby Manning. Bobby, good morning. What's going on, sir? Good morning. Adam's never here when I'm here. Who yeah, gets- I know. It's what we'll to get you on together that way, or at least, you know, maybe the two of you solo. So that way you guys can have some sort of little connection here. It's always good to have a Syracuse guy on as a fellow Syracuse guy, Adam, as well. Um, but it's good to have you on, man. The Garden Report's still crushing it. Uh, you guys continually put out, I think, probably some of the best stuff that CLNS has to offer on our YouTube page and our website. So congratulations to your success, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, we finally got back together this week, had a big brown blow up that everybody's probably been waiting for. Yeah. You <laughs> know, arguing just... about his contract situation, which moves into its fourth week now. Nothing yeah. See here. <laughs> We're going to get to that in a minute because I do I do want to talk to some about some brown stuff off the top. But we have to talk about you first, because uh, I don't know if you saw this, Bobby, you went viral yesterday. <laughs> so all I'm going to do is I'm going to clear out. I'm going to clear out. I'm going to give you the lane. I'm going to give you the runway. Defend yourself. Uh, <laughs> after everybody came after you for taking 26 shots in 22 minutes, defend yourself here. So, yeah, I, I, I'm playing in a summer league right now. Uh, you know, they, t- they take the box scores, all that. They got the refs. It's pretty, it's pretty official. And <laughs> last summer, they, they do it like every season, but I don't really have time to do it during the summer. So last summer, I played on the championship team. But we had one player who took you know, 30 shots a game, averaged over 40 a game. And it was great because he was incredible. But I rarely got the ball. I take like four or five shots a game. So I was in <laughs> summer league, obviously, for the first game of this season. This week, I made my debut for the team. And I actually got to play center. So, you know, I was getting the ball a lot, like in the pocket. And I was just firing. And I... Listen, the scoring's pretty accurate. I'm not sure it's 100% accurate. It didn't feel like I took 26 shots. I definitely took a lot. I definitely was very aggressive. And I'm happy I was because sometimes I'm not aggressive out there. And I'm like, I left points on the table. I left shots on the table. But I put up 16, 8, 3 blocks, which no one talked about. No. And it's smoothed <laughs> over when you take 26 shots, Bobby. <laughs> and I do, <laughs> I do feel like I had at least one assist. So, <laughs> oh, there you go. You got this. <laughs> 26 shots. And yeah, we won. I love it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the most important thing is that you won, you know, like you, you won the game. That's all that matters. At the end of the day, you got the dub. That's, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for results. Yeah. And we had to put points on the board. I mean, if you look up and down the box score, there weren't great shooting percentages all in all. I know our guy Bellman just poured it on from three. <laughs> so he drove us. I think he had 38. Yeah. Um, but. 
you know, I was I was second in the box score in points, played aggressive, cleaned up around the rim. I do have to say though, people were tossing around. The other team did have four players. I don't know how I didn't notice that, but they did. So that's another asterisk I got to put on the performance. Is Vivek on the other sidelines, like controlling the team? Is or is we have a Hoosier situation on the other side of the court? Like what's going on here? All I'm it was a wacky game. Is, all I'm saying is Dion Waiters would be proud. You know, you getting up that many shots coming. You know, would you come off the bench? Because it seemed like that's I did it, come off the bench. Yeah. So yeah, twenty six shots off the bench. Dion, you know, fellow Syracuse alum, he'd be proud of that. You know, getting shots up coming off the bench. That's good stuff. Well, next Wednesday we'll have another box score for everybody. Yeah, I, this is going to be the <laughs> weekly thing. I think. I think you got. In make... August, it might be the only thing to talk about. I'm look, man. You've gotten. You've captivated the internet for a day. I think you you can keep this moving for at least one more try. I think. It's... I I loved I, my favorite tweet of all. I know Evan Turner chimed in, but I think my favorite tweet was uh, Celtics PR. Um, Celtics PR is Christian uh, Megliola saying, "Pass the ball. You're better than this." <laughs> Oh uh, man, I'm glad you're taking it in stride because that could be that could be in a tough spot. But uh, I'm I'm glad you're taking it in stride. It's tremendous. I do want to move though because you know we are in week four of the Jalen Brown non-contract. Uh, we, Gary Washburn tweeted I think late last night that they, according to sources, they're going to resume conversations this upcoming week and try and get this deal done. I feel like we've done. Everybody's had their say on how they feel about this Jalen Brown contract. I feel like we've all talked about it, and I kind of want to do. Something a little different and have a slightly different discussion about it because I think it's really important, especially coming off his event in Dorchester yesterday where he opened up a, a new court, well, uh, refurbished a court and started talking about how important it is that fee- people in the Boston community have safe spaces to go to, to feel comfortable, to, you know, make friendships and to continue to try and, you know, uh, add to the community in certain different ways. And this is the part about, I think, the Jalen Brown contract that maybe that I think about solely and nobody else thinks about. I think it's highly important that Jalen Brown remains a Celtic because of what he means to the fabric of this community, right? He has the biggest platform of anybody in the Boston sports area that's willing to have certain type of conversations with the public and lead those conversations and take those problems on head on. I think it's wonderful and I know people are getting caught up in the number of like, oh, they can't pay Jalen Brown fifty million. You know, he can't be the highest paid player in basketball only for a year, by the way. Uh, he can't be the highest paid player in basketball. He's not the best player in the league. And I sit here and say, well, that's like sort of semantics because Jason Tatum will be the highest paid player in the league next year. It's only it's only going to last a year. It's not like he's going to be the highest paid player for a while. He earned it with with the All NBA now. But at the same time, like. I think it's important to have Jalen in Boston because of what he provides to this culture. And then on top of that, if you have to pay a little extra to keep him here to make impact throughout the city of Boston and on not just us here, but like the entire country as a whole, I know he's not going to change everything, but it's important that it, he's starting some dialogues. I think that has to be factored in here, Bobby. I think it has to be factored into this discussion of trying to keep Jalen Brown in Boston. Cause I think this is, I know we talk about, we get so focused on things on the court that we don't think about his impact off the court. And I think that should be factored in here in terms of bringing him back to Boston. Yeah, and the on-court stuff's pretty good, too. I, I think the last game left a bad taste in everybody's mouth that's lingered through the summer. Uh, and you know, overall, that wasn't a great series for him. But he had an incredible year when you look back on it. And the growth's been enormous year to year. But that always was something that 
I felt strongly about too is that what he meant to the organization and the city on the level of, you know, um, just social activism, but also just sort of direct activism in the community. That's important, especially given stuff he's talked about, about the history of the city, given, uh, you know, Bill Russell's uh, impact and just sort of the tradition in that sense of the Celtics leading the way when it comes to, um, you know, just active, involved and outspoken, um, you know, athletes. Who and you know, Russell got criticized. Brown's gotten criticized for stuff he's done. I think he's sort of going about his career and his commentary and his action the way he wants to. And I think it eludes traditional media. I think it, um, you know, might rub people the wrong way. Criticisms he makes. You know, I know yesterday he was talking about like wealth disparity in Boston. And everyone's going to be like, oh, so you're going to take the minimum, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, it, I think he senses that criticism and people trying to undermine his message in ways that I think make him a little bit resistant to speaking the way a lot of other athletes do, just directly to the press or directly to social media or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and he even talked about that at the ceremony yesterday that, like, you know, people try to put athletes in a box. He's, he's tried, he's talked about this for a long time. Uh, and that when you try to step outside that box, people um, get uncomfortable or people will criticize you, whatever it might be. So I've always loved, um, you know, the clothing line, which he's always talked about charging people high prices to give access to people who can't afford those clothes, but also funnel that money to other things like the education initiatives he's doing, basketball courts, whatever it might be. There's a lot that he's doing behind the scenes that I don't think people even see. And it's important because, you know, we talk a lot about the difference between Tatum and Brown, you know, Tatum, I think is really wrapped up and engulfed in like this basketball culture. And he loves the game and he just loves the sport and everything that comes with it. And basketball is his thing. And as we've always said with Brown, I think he feels a higher calling you know beyond the game and that's like as much if not a greater focus for him which you know is commendable to me especially with the fact that he's still able to put so much time and dedication into his game like everybody I've talked to this summer they rave about like just how how long he's in the gym and I see it at practice too like he's the guy who's there the longest he's the guy going through every detail he's repeating drills over and over again he's repeating shooting motions over and over again and that's how you get so precise in some of the offensive moves that he's developed now I know the dribbles driving people crazy and the facilitating and all that but everybody has weak points in his game he has a couple and I do have some thoughts about those going into next year uh, but yeah, I've always been super impressed by him off the court. I do think it's super important to have a guy like that for years to come on the Celtics. And you're right, Evan, it's a great point. Like y- you're losing a lot in that sense if you do lose Brown. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't think a lot of people think about the off-court stuff when it comes to trying to keep Jalen in green. And I think it's super important. You know, again, I love Jason Tatum, that Jason Tatum is not about doing this kind of stuff. I love Marcus Smart, and Marcus, you know, obviously isn't here anymore, but and Marcus did a lot of great charity work. I'm not saying he did not, but he's not having conversations that Jalen is having. You know, Al Horford's been here twice. I just think it's, I think it's really important, like, to have a voice like that, to have some, like, in, in, 
and it's very evident that he idolizes Bill Russell. Uh, I mean, what was it, game one, the first game of the Hawks series? He had Bill Russell cleats on. I mean, I thought that was a great nod to the guy that has built everything for everybody in the NBA. Like, you you, you know, the, the older guys talk about, you know, paving the way for the next generation. I mean, Bill did it for everybody. And it's in, you know, we had Cedric Maxwell on just after Bill passed and about how, you know, we, you know, if you if you take out everybody in NBA history, like Bill Russell probably has the greatest impact of any single player, not just in NBA history, but maybe in like North American sports history. So it's great that Brown seems to, you know, at least be taking up that mantle a little bit and, and step into that role. But, you know, you talk about the on-court stuff and, you know, his potential fit with this new team. And I've been talking a little bit with Kaufman about how, you know, I'm a little worried about Jalen and his fit with Porzingis. You know what I mean? Like, I have a little bit of a, a, a hesitancy to get fully behind the Porzingis experience because I don't think anybody in the Celtics knows how to make an entry pass to anybody in the low block. Like, I just don't think outside of Derek White, I have zero confidence in anybody's ability to do that all the time. Um, and I think Jalen might be my biggest question mark on, like, how is that going to work together? How are Tatum and Porzingis going to find synergy? Not Tatum and Porzingis. Uh, uh, Brown and Porzingis is going to find synergy because – to me, Porzingis is brought in to help with this problem of this offense goes in the toilet when Tatum's not on the floor. When Tatum's on the floor, the on-off numbers like are spectacular. Like last year, there was a point where like Tatum plus four dudes was a a top whatever offense in the league. Like he was he was unbelievably impactful in the on-off court metrics. So I have a little bit of hesitancy here. And I don't know if Jalen realizes this either. Like, does Jalen realize that Porzingis might be the number two in the pecking order between Tatum, Brown, and Porzingis? Because I think I have more confidence in Porzingis leading an offense for good stretches than I do Jalen Brown. Am I crazy? No, and I, I can't imagine a world where he's that second unit let him cook guy, uh, especially given his skill set. He's able to line guys up. He's able to shoot over pretty much anyone on the court. And he's able to create that shot for himself, uh, especially in that trail spot. So I do think Porzingis is going to be the guy driving those second units a lot of the time. The interesting thing is, though, when, when Tatum steps off the court and you have to thank his minutes will finally decrease a little bit this year. His games off will probably finally tick up for the first time in like three years. <laughs> so that's the good thing about it is that there's an interchangeability between the stars on this roster. And of course, given the position Porzingis plays an interchangeability between the bigs, all of them, of course, are going to probably need some games off this year. Uh, but when everybody's out there, I do have the same questions, Evan. Brown didn't shoot a lot of corner threes last year. I, I think it was less than 50. That obviously used to be his role primarily is shooting out of the corner. Porzingis never shoots corner threes. I was going through all his tape, Dallas, Washington last year. I think he just shot a couple dozen total last season as a whole. Uh, he's in that trail spot all the time, which is good in a sense because he doesn't always have to be playing in the middle of the floor. He doesn't always have to be playing around the post. He can be a guy stretching that big man out, which will be effective against some of these guys like Giannis and Embiid. And man, he, he really can shoot from a long distance. And I think that's primarily where the Celtics are going to use Porzingis, which will give Brown some cutting lanes, some mid-range uh, flexibility. They gave him a lot of that last year, and he was incredible from that spot on the floor. So I do think there's going to be some ways for these guys to coexist, especially in the second units, 
where maybe Brown and Porzingis can kind of get some two-man game stuff going. Uh, Brown obviously didn't have a ton to work with. Brogdon, you know, being a guy who was primarily the scorer off the bench last year, didn't really have big man outlets. So having Porzingis is going to make a difference in that sense. Uh, but, you know, the one thing you got to say about Brown is that the playmaking, the vision, and just the awareness on the court has to improve. I felt like it got worse in the playoffs last year. He always has that laser focus on the basket a lot of times. And if he's going to be trying to play off or play with Porzingis, there's going to have to be sort of that connectivity that you saw with Smart and Tatum last year, which honestly was probably my favorite combination on the team, the way Smart would screen for him, Tatum would screen for Smart sometimes. And those guys would just roll off each other and make plays in that pocket area. And that's something Brown and Porzingis can do on the second unit, I think. Uh, but it's going to have to take another adjustment by Brown, not only a willingness to take corner threes, which he'll have to do, I think, to make this work, uh, but also to be a passer in that pocket area and not always be looking for that shot. Because I know we're not thinking about this as a big three, Evan, but it is. These are three massive usage players, three guys who excel in isolation scoring. And just like with KG, Ray, and Pierce, even though these aren't future Hall of Famers across the board yet, they all have to sacrifice to make this work. And Porzingis, I think, taking the pay cut, uh, knowing that he's going to be sort of the third man in this mix and admitting that in the opening press conference did his part. Now Brown's going to have to do his part. And I think we know Tatum is a willing passer and a guy who's going to sit down if they really need him to. He's going to do his, given that he's still number one in this hierarchy. It's not a ton of sacrifice. It's going to be tough for Brown, especially after last year where you kind of heard some complaining about the sacrifice. I think mean, he, he was already doing. Yeah, and that's that's going to be a real, you know, the regular season is going to be about trying to build that trust from game one to game 82. It's going to be all about trying to find the level that everybody feels comfortable with. And, and, you know, you go to, you know, the, the, the Miami big three with LeBron, Wade and Bosch, like, yeah, Bosch had to take a little bit of a backseat, you know, LeBron and Wade figured their little, you know, uh, dynamic out. And they went from there, you know, can, yeah, can, can Porzingis be the, the, the Bosch of the group or be the Kevin Love of the group? You know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I actually think that Porzingis has, slightly more to offer than that. And I think, again, the Brown-Porzingis hierarchy is going to be really interesting. And that's going to be really hard for Joe Missoula. Like, you're asking Joe Missoula in his second year to try and figure this out on the fly. It's going to help, I think, this year that he has Charles Lee and he has Sam Cassell to help him out and try and manage this thing. So I I, I, I have higher expectations, and, and, and I feel a little bit better about the coaching staff and where Joe is right now considering who he has behind him. But it's going to be – this is going to be hard. Like, I, I, I think – this is a real challenge for everybody involved. And I, as much as I love Joe Missoula and enjoy, uh, you know, the, the freshness and the new, the new face and the new, you know, variety of ways that they, they play basketball. I think this is going to be really tough. And, and I understand people's, I guess, hesitancy to like really get behind Joe, but you have to understand like the two guys behind Joe will just replace him if it doesn't work. I mean, I think, I think they've, they've kind of sent a message to Joe pretty loud and clear, like, hey, like, we're giving you what you need, but at the same time, the guys behind you are fully – like, Charles Lee had, what, four interviews this offseason, and, like, Sam Cassell was, like, knocking on the door of a head coaching job. So, you know, it's going to be up to those guys and then everybody else in the, in the room to try and, and figure that all that stuff out. Evan Valenti solo with Bobby Manning here on the show from – of course, Boston Sports Journal. Of course, you also know him from the Garden Report, CNS, CNS Media's own 
Uh, it's like a post game show for the regular season. Then you guys, how many times a week are you guys coming at the people during the off season? Just once, twice? What are you guys doing? I'm, I'm doing two shows. The full crew, we do our weekly show and then I'll try to bring a guest on. We, we had Dart Adams on kicking around. Uh, yeah, I love Dart. He's, and- he's a, if you don't follow him on Twitter for, uh, Boston thoughts, you owe it to yourself for just music history. Cause he, like, I've never seen anybody come at the internet with more. Just this is how this really happened in the music industry takes than Dart. He just c- continues to educate people. It's wonderful. Yeah, and he's got a Reggie Lewis uh, commemoration coming up. He said uh, a 30 anniversary of uh, Lewis's death coming up, uh, and you know he's got something coming for that. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, but yeah. I've always always love giving him the sounding board for his Celtics talks. He's very high on you know what they've done here and the moves they've made, and. I'm torn on it. One thing I love about this offseason, though, Evan, is like this is this there's been so much conversation. Obviously, moving smart was a lightning rod topic uh, that always was going back 10 years. So, of course, finally trading him was going to cause massive debate. But I also think like everything they've done and just, you know, how they've doubled down on Missoula, which Brian Windhorst talked about and. Uh, the coaching staff or, you know, some of the role players coming in, the grant trade. There's so much to debate. And I really think the fan base is pretty evenly split on optimism about everything they've done, which I think there's a strong case that they're better. And that this could go wrong and that they've taken some big risk here and that they've lost a lot. And, you know, I think nationally the perception's actually been that they've gotten a little bit worse, which surprises me. But, you know, I think you've also had some people and I think, um, you know, Ryan Bernadone, has been chief among them, that he doesn't love what they've done this offseason. I do think I lean a little bit in that direction, too. I, I think they had something that really worked in 2022 and they ventured pretty far from that. And part of it, it was out of necessity because Emir Doke is gone and the whole staff's gone and you really don't have a, a coaching staff who is going to continue that identity. Um, but also they've had some great opportunities here to upgrade in talent and the Porzingis thing, just to get back to that. It's so enticing because you bring in the seven, three guy, it's not Kevin Garnett, but it kind of feels like that. You know, you're, you're going and getting this all-star big man who just has this like allure around him and really coming into the league looked like a guy who was changing the way basketball is played. And I know he's had some ups and downs through the years, but finally hits his stride last year. And now you think might be entering his prime with the Celtics in a really good situation. And one thing Dart said that I loved on the Garn report is that he might've played for the three most unstable organizations in the NBA coming into Boston. So this is a spot. The Kings do that. And it would be, it'd be like the force of them right there. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So this is a spot you have to think where things could finally click for him. And, you know, he's talked about how he's more mature than ever. I have the offensive questions too, Evan, and I think those really need to be sorted out. But the one thing that does reassure me a little bit about Porzingis through all the worries I have about it is that he's going to be a monster for this team defensively. The system they play, the personnel around him, and the season he's coming off of on that end, I I think he's going to be incredible blocking shots, playing back, covering ground. And with all this length around him, I think this defense is going to play a lot differently this year. And I think they might be in a different style and play to get back to that number one spot. It's going to look different than it did in 2022, much different now, actually. And there's not that forcefulness and brute strength. And I do think that's a real question, but analytically, I think they're in a place where 
they could really be forcing teams to take tough shots against them. And that's what they tried to do last year, but didn't quite have the personnel or the time to implement. Yeah. It's also like a chemistry thing too. I think, I think, you know, having Joe come in and try and, and tweak certain things is like, you know, they lost Will Hardy too, which I think people don't really take into account enough. Like Will Hardy had a tremendous first season with the jazz for a very, for a very good reason. He's an excellent head coach, right? He's been, on Pop's bench forever, you know, as a as a Western Mass guy, we all love Will Hardy out here in Western Mass as a Williams College alum. We're, we're all big fans. And and he had a really big part in terms of trying to figure out defensively what their identity was and implementing it. So I think losing, you know, a big part of your of your voice in the locker room as a defensive, you know, guy, Will Hardy going to to Utah was a tough loss. And, you know, and trying to get over that's gonna be hard. I think I think I fight with people in terms of by the way, Utah really wanted Porzingis too. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm going to get to some Utah stuff in a, in a minute. I, I want to save that for just a second because I do, I do think that I think they're the ceilings higher for this team, but the risk is greater, right? Because of all the injury risks they have on this team. Like in a vacuum, Chris Apps Porzingis is a better player than Marcus Smart. Like that's just flat out. I love Marcus; he's great. Um, but like Porzingis has been an all-star before and and been a number one on a team before. Like Marcus, again, I love him to death. I will root for the Memphis Grizzlies until they play the Celtics. Like that's I'm I'm a big fan. But I, the talent is is much different. You know, like Marcus's defensive talent is unbelievable. Um you have to sort of question all the, the toll that his body's been taking the past nine years. And so I question whether he's ever going to be the same guy again. He won defensive player of the year, first guard to win since Gary Payton, which is a ridiculous accomplishment. But I don't know if he can ever be that guy again. Whereas Porzingis, like, yeah, is he not as versatile defensively? Sure. Did Marcus Smart guard Porzingis, like, pretty well? Like, absolutely, I've seen it. But Porzingis brings a different dimension and changes the geometry on the floor when he's out there, which I think is really important to, to sort of know. And I think considering their offensive problems, I think I'm willing to take a chance on sacrificing Marcus to try and, and get a little bit better. Cause like the one thing I've been, cause everybody keeps asking me like, Hey, like, how do you feel? And I'm like, well, at first, like it was a like, it just ripped my heart out. But at some point, one of Jalen or smart, like had to go because you can't keep running this back. You just can't and just expect things to be different unless Tatum takes this massive leap to the, the best player in the league somehow, you know, or like top three, no question. And you can't bank on that, right? You can't bank on Tatum making some – he's already top ten, top seven. I think Jokic, Giannis, and Curry, and Luka, like those guys are your top echelon. Can Tatum get there? We'll see. Can he ever make – do you think Jason Tatum can have a, a Nikola Jokic like impact on an NBA Finals? That's hard. That's really hard because Jokic affects so much with his play. But by swapping out Smart, bringing in Porzingis, you change some things. Yes, defensively you won't be as good, but you'll have more answers to more questions. I think, and 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 jettisoning Smart, not my first choice. But at the end of the day, like one of those three guys probably has to go if you don't win a finals this year. And I'm willing to bet on Jalen and Jason over Marcus. And that's where I settled on it. Yeah. And that deal was something of a compromise too, between 
maintaining their ability to stay all in for the next year or two here and have some future pieces uh, to remain flexible and, you know, keep the core going around Tatum specifically. And we'll see, you know, how things shake out with the two other stars going forward, the draft picks, whatever it might be. Uh, then, you know, they, they, I think solve some issues here, as you say, like the zone problem that they've had. Porzingis definitely brings some zone busting qualities. I look back at a couple of games he played against the Heat last year and he was active and involved and moving, uh, but it's going to require Tatum and Brown set a lot of this stuff up, which is what you really lose in smart. Cause as you said, yes, Porzingis on paper across the board, you're checking the boxes. He checks more boxes in terms of stuff he can do on the floor. But some of those things are things you already have in terms of isolation scoring and shooting and whatever it might be. You had a passing problem on this team, a facilitating problem that I think still exists, even though I'm excited about Derek White getting pushed up the lineup. He's not a great advantage creator, I, I think, as a point guard. You know, He's a guy who I think especially in this situation is going to still end up playing off the ball quite a bit, uh, you know, bring the ball up. I'm sure plenty and, you know, be a threat out there as a shooter and as a, you know, catch and roll guy, uh, you know, screener. I love his screening still to this day. And I love that he's going to be playing 35, 40 minutes a game, but I don't think anyone's looking at him and saying he's going to be the orchestrator of all of this. I don't think anyone's looking at Tatum and Brown and still, uh, maintaining this utmost confidence that they're going to take huge steps as playmakers this year. Cause honestly, I thought they took a little bit of a step back last year after that was really a focus under Doka. So they have to continue to do that, especially when a lot of the personnel around them, Porzingis, some of the new bench guys they brought in, these guys are really impactful as cutters and Brown too. You know, we talked about during the playoffs, the amount of times Tatum and Brown were connecting uh, and you know, how, often they're able to succeed alongside each other. So for this to succeed, like they have a great team on paper. They have a lot of answers to problems that they had a year ago, but it's still going to require that growth from Tatum and Brown for those guys to be the playmakers and the facilitators. And I know a lot's been made out of smarts gone, grants gone. Those big voices are gone. Tatum and Brown are going to have to step up as leaders. And I do think that's true, but the greater, and urgency and need out of them might be them stepping up as the playmakers of this team. And that's going to be a big challenge for Brown after the year we just saw him have in that sense. Tatum has taken some real steps in that part of the game. And I do think there's always a willingness on his part to move the ball, but then it's going to be on him to stay moving and just keep this offense active. Cause I do think the, probably the biggest thing that worries me about Porzingis alongside injuries is that he does have some real ball-stopping tendencies. Uh, he is a guy who's going to face up and take his time, and you do see with a lot of the tape on him, it's a lot of guys standing around alongside him, and that's why you end up with this you know, huge stats, bad team season he ended up having there in Washington. Not to say he can't fit in on a winning team, but it's it's going to take adjustment by everybody involved in that sacrifice, like we talked about, for guys to adjust their styles a little bit, and figure out ways to make this work alongside each other. Because, yes, there's a lot of answers with the talent that they have on this team. There's a lot of potential and possibilities for them to try new things here. Um, but it's going to take commitment by these guys to play a little differently than they've had than they've been doing in the past. you got to be honest with you, Bobby. 
one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to have you on here, well, one of them just happens to be timing. I think, again, you going viral yesterday and me being able to kind of, <laughs> you know, jab at you with that a little bit to start was was great. But one of the reasons why I brought you on here, and it's honestly my not my main reason because I think you do a great job. That's another reason why I'm here. But we haven't talked on this show really at all about O'Shea Brissett. And yeah, nobody, we got, on, nobody on this beat knows O'Shea Brissett better than you do. And that's, I, I mean, I love everybody on this beat. They're all tremendous people. Nobody knows O'Shea Brissett better than you do. You guys go back to Syracuse. You were obviously very familiar with each other uh, as, as O'Shea was was tearing up with the Orange. Um, I'm sure you followed his career in Indiana, you know, and all of his, I think he was in Toronto before that, right, Toronto? Yeah, he started in Toronto. So I, I'm sure you followed his, his, you know, it's one of these things. When you go to school with someone, like, I followed Deion Waiters for the entire time he was in the league because, like, that's my guy. Like, Wesley Johnson. I followed Wesley Johnson League for the entire time he was in the league because that's my guy. Uh, you know, Chris Joseph and Fab Mello didn't last so long. You know what I mean? Is RIP to Fab. Um, but when you like, when you interview guys and you're, and you, and you go through the same stuff with them as a fan, cause like you're a journalist, but also a fan of the team, like it's hard not to just be invested in their success. So with the, you know, we talked about bringing Porzingis in to kind of supplement the loss of smart. They lose Grant Williams. They bring in O'Shea Brissett, they have Sam Hauser, and they have Jordan Walsh, who I'd like to talk about in a minute. But how does O'Shea Brissett, in your opinion, help, if at all, offset the loss of Grant Williams? What can he provide to this team that Grant Williams gave them and can can give them back a little bit in terms of a guy coming off the bench? A lot of it's energy and intensity. He's going to be a guy who's diving on the floor chasing rebounds one of my favorite stats and i throw it around all the time is that he had the most double doubles of any freshman at syracuse behind uh other than rather Derek coleman and carmel yeah. anthony so his freshman year was incredible at syracuse and he he, I, he he was always one of my favorite guys through those years just because of that inten- intensity the energy but also just the physicality he plays with i think you know celtics fans remember the dunk he had against them forget who was on I can't remember off the top of my head but he had the you know probably the dunk of his career against the Celtics a hot shooting night against them and it is funny how those things rub off and it always seems like those kind of games influence teams that end up pursuing these guys the huge games against them and Brissett's capable of that now he's going to play an ancillary role which which they need you know as a cutter as an off-ball shooter almost all his shots in Indiana were wide open and he's not Grant in that sense. The shooting comes and goes. He's got an interesting release. Uh, it is really like high above his head, you know, and he had these hot stretches. And Syracuse kind of told the story of that freshman year coming out. Great three point shooting really drove this awesome year for him. Second year, the three point shooting took a big step back. And that was similar in Indiana too. First year there shoots close to 40% involved active big part of their rotation and then last year you know 31 percent big step back in that sense with his role so you're going to get good rebounding great size a guy who's again it's a theme here with this roster really able to cover space not as much switchability which i think says a lot as well grant was a very switchable guy this is a guy who i think is gonna have to guard fours i think you know, some threes maybe he'll be capable of guarding, but a lot of it's going to be sort of those, you know, 
physical force that he's going to be able to, you know, kind of front. So I, I do think with guys like Brissett, Banton, if he's able to break through, uh, even Hauser, you know, they have some taller, longer guys who I think will probably lead them to switch less and sort of just guard their positions this year and funnel, you know, guards and pick and rolls into the drop with Porzingis in the middle. But I also think what we saw this year, of course, with Brissett and Syracuse and all that is in the summer league, they played a lot of zone. And I'm really interested in how that's going to translate to camp. Are we going to see some zone from this team in the preseason, given the personnel they have, given that they have such big, long bodies across the perimeter, and they can really cover space with these players? They've been killed by it before. They've seen a lot of success from the Heat playing that system. And they really haven't tried it at all. And it felt like half a summer league they were in that zone, Evan. And they have some guys who I think project to be really good in that look. Uh, they had Tony Dobbins trying to run it out there. And I have to think that they're going to at least try to run a little zone early in the preseason and see how it works and maybe have that be part of their defensive game plan this year with guys like Brissett, with Porzingis in the middle, and uh, you know, with some big guards at the top who can be disruptive. Yeah, they certainly have the length. Like I remember a few years ago, Spolstra did had uh, played zone against. I think it was in the bubble. He played zone against the Celtics, and he had Derek Jones Jr. at the top. And I, I was just about to mention him. things I've ever seen. I was like, that's so brilliant. He's so long, so active. He's going to be so disruptive to anybody that tries to to break into the middle of the zone. Like he's just going to. So you know, we look talk, look at the length of, the, of 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 this team. I mean, Jordan. I'm not trying to say Jordan Walsh to go out there and be some unbelievable player. But you know, Jordan Walsh having a seven two wingspan or being six foot seven. He looks so good at the top of that zone. He's gonna look spectacular at the top of the zone. And it's not like he can't he has you know, we had um Bopet on last week and I talked about how watching Jordan Walsh in Summer League, I all I could think about was like, Man, I can't wait until he gets Tatum's shoulders. Because, you know, Tatum when he came into Summer League was a skinny, lanky guy. And Walsh's frame reminds me a lot of that. When he puts weight on, he's going to look a little different. And Steve was quick to say, like, I wouldn't want him to put too much weight on because his lateral quickness is going to be what makes him really special as a defender if he's going to really get there. And so as a, you know, as you toy between the two, I, I think, you know, Walsh's ability to be a great lateral mover in space and someone that understands, you know, help defense as a help defender, like, I think the sky's the limit for him, especially if they play zone. Like if he, he's got to know where every, everybody is and where everything is, but with, with his reaction and his ability to recover, I think, you know, you have a, potentially a, a guy that could play a little bit more in a role like that. Cause I think about like, if you go back to Tatum's rookie year, I'm not trying to compare Tatum and Walsh, like as players. I just want to go back to their roles. If you remember Tatum's rookie year, he's surrounded by Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. All Tatum had to do was like stand in the corner, hit open threes, play defense, and like drive closeouts. Can Jordan Walsh do all that stuff? I think he's certainly capable of it. Does he, will he make enough mistakes to get taken off the floor defensively? We'll see. But I think there's definitely a possibility that Walsh gets a little more playing time than I think people are admitting right now because of the way he can kind of impact the defensive end. Yeah, and we've seen rookies get on the floor for them. Grant Williams, obviously, I, I thought played some steady minutes his rookie year during 2020. 
Uh, yeah, Pritchard got out there, played a real role as a rookie. Some of these guys came in a little more seasoned than Walsh, a little older in some other cases too. He's still so young. It feels like he was in high school yesterday. <laughs> and it's funny to come out of summer league feeling better about the offense than the defense, given his pedigree as a defender. But I do think defense is probably going to be a little bit of an adjustment at this level, especially if they're playing some different schemes than what he's used to in the past. Uh, so I'm interested to see how he looks early on, but I'm not ruling out him playing this year. I don't think there's going to be a JD Davison situation where he's in Maine his whole first year. He's on a standard contract for a reason. And I think they've almost celebrated him and, uh, marketed him like a first rounder. I can't remember. And, you know, you probably remember a lot more second rounders than I do, Evan, but I can't remember a second rounder that they've really pushed as a team like this. And it's not like this is the only yeah, move. Waters didn't get this kind of treatment. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like Davison last summer, um, and, you know, they've stashed a couple of guys in recent years, but this is different. And it's not like they didn't have some other big marquee moves this summer that they really could have marketed. And, and Walsh is the only guy coming in here. So they've had to push him extra hard. I think they're legitimately excited about him. Not that he was their first choice. I think a guy like Omax Prosper, there was people there in the first round who I think they were looking at who went. And that's why they ended up trading back a couple of times. Cause you can't just say like, this was their first choice and they're trading back like crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't make sense, but I do think he was near the top of their list. And he fell pretty far and they were still able to get him while picking up future second rounders here. And I've said this, I don't want to get overly excited about summer league results. And it's just a couple games and probably a couple dozen shots, but he went out and shot 40% in summer league. And he's going to be even more open when the NBA season starts. And he did have a nice poise and confidence about him that I think is going to be hard to shake. You know, obviously I think a lot of his personal life has shaped that too, as he's come up. He, he, He's intense and confident and sure of himself in ways that I think are going to translate well to those ups and downs of being a rookie. And given the position he plays, as you mentioned, with Grant gone and Brissett some other guys trying to fight for those secondary four minutes, probably bigs resting almost every night, there's going to be pockets for him to play this year. And if he's shooting 40% or close to it, he's going to play. Like That's all there is to it, especially the style they play and the way the NBA is now. If you're shooting, you're going to get out on the floor. And he brings a lot of other things to the table too, which is nice. He's not just that, you know, spot up three point shooter. It's what I think is going to unlock the rest of his game. Uh, but it's also going to be key to him playing as a rookie and going out and shooting 40% in the summer league like he did was a great first step. We'll get you out of here on this because this is uh, just some newsy kind of stuff. Uh, Bull Pet had uh, an article come out. I think it was there yesterday or the day before. Uh, we're recording on a Saturday. So I think, I think it came out Friday. I'll give you one quote. Like one exec said, quote, they valued Malcolm Brogdon. He's a member of their team, a valued member of their team. That's where it ended. We didn't get anywhere. This is, of course, talking about trading Malcolm Brogdon, or at least trying to re-engage on Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, the one executive, I just have a question for you, Bobby. Is this, is this Danny Ainge like helping out the seas <laughs> with, 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 <laughs> with Malcolm Brogdon's trade value? Or do you actually think that Brogdon's a, uh, quote unquote valued part of this team concerning the, the lack of guard depth at this point. As far as I've heard, I, I don't think you can rule out Brogdon moving at, at this point. Uh, I don't expect it to happen. I think the most activity on that front probably already happened. Uh, I don't know per se if, if, you know, they're deflecting teams that would be interested in him. I think the biggest uncertainty here is still the medical 
Uh, the fact that that Clippers deal got squashed by, you know, I think having it in place and then it going to the highest level. And then ultimately once the medical gets assessed at that level in LA, the deal you know, fell apart. And I think some of that was exclusive to the Clippers given the criticism they've received for their player health, bringing in a guy like Brogdon who has some questions on that front uh, wouldn't have been the best look for them. Now, if another team comes along and makes a very aggressive offer, I don't think Brogdon's untouchable, but what never made sense to me was the notion that they were just going to move off his contract to try to get below the tax or make a money move in that sense. Because I still think he brings enough to the table here and they have enough of a need at that position uh, where you should see what he can do this year, you know, start the season with him, let him recover. If it takes some time into the season. And I still think that's probably one of the uneasy questions going into this year is that we haven't seen or heard a lot from Brogdon. And so does training camp come around? It's like, Oh, it needs a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we're going to keep continuing this healing program with him. I haven't heard a ton on that front. I think Brad most recently mentioned that he was getting close to getting back out there on the court, which is a positive as August approaches here. But, but I've always been strongly in favor of bringing Brogdon back. And I wasn't his biggest fan last year. I felt like I was one of his biggest critics talking about his defense and, uh, you know, the passing and just overall, uh, I think the narrowness of his impact where it seemed like he was going to bring this wide impact to the team. He really only ended up being a scorer and shooter for them. Uh, so Listen, there's some ways that they could upgrade there. Like if the Clippers offered Norman Powell, that's an intriguing swap, I think, for both sides, especially if the Clippers can't get this Harden deal done. Um, there's some other deals out there where you split Brogdon the multiple players that I think could make some sense. But as far as my confidence in Peyton Pritchard goes, I have to see it this year because I think he did get some opportunities last year. Not a ton, but even through the early years in his career where he would get out there and he'd have some dazzling nights, of course, when the ball was in his hands for most of the night. But when he was in more of a, you know, ancillary role, he didn't have the greatest impact. And the one thing you can say about Brogdon last year was in limited minutes off the bench in a smaller role, he was able to be extraordinarily consistent and effective in ways that really helped them. And, you know, I think they're still going to need that vocal presence in the locker room which he really ratcheted up late in the year and so did he get comfortable enough in that sense to where he could finally be a vocal leader for this team uh he can be that closer if they want to go small and i think he'll still be key for connecting their smaller and their bigger lineups out there and then of course you're going to need someone to man those secondary point guard minutes they're high on pritchard i know that for a fact so that makes me even more sure that if the right deal came along, they would move Brogdon. But at this point, I just don't think there's enough momentum in that direction. Um, I don't think there's enough out there. And I still think there's probably enough uncertainty with the medical here that it's not likely he moves. And Brad has really been, if you've listened to his comments over the last month plus, uh, pretty concerted in including Brogdon among like the guys that they're going forward into this year with and building around this season. So I know everybody's freaked out about him being in a deal and it falling apart and how that might impact him. That stuff happens. It's a little rare to actually be like on the doorstep of a deal and having it like signed and ready to go and it falling apart like it was and actually being reported. Cause I think it was Jake Fisher, you know, one of the national reporters who was saying like this stuff happens a lot but you don't hear about it because it's not reported until it's like ready to go. This deal was ready to go, him going to the Clippers uh, and it fell apart. So it'll be interesting to actually hear about it once he you know, reacts to that. But I think it is something that 
everybody can kind of push past and understand that it's, it's a business and, you know, now he's back and part of the team again. So if you ask me right now, I have to think probably it's going to be on this team on opening night. I agree with you. That's Bobby Manning of Boston sports journal of the garden report. Of course, CLS is very own garden report. You can follow him on Twitter. You can follow him on YouTube. You guys, you know, you guys are twice a week, so you're going to hear Bobby a lot in terms of if you listen to podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or whatever. You can read Bobby, Boston Sports Journal, of course, CLNS Media as well. Bobby, thanks for joining us here today. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on YouTube, on iTunes, on Spotify, all that great stuff. Shout out to FanDuel, uh, our sponsor. Those guys are the best. Love working with them. We got some fun futures bets coming up that Kaufman and I will get into later on this summer. But for Bobby Manning, for Adam Coffin, I'm Evan Valenti. We'll see you guys next time right here on Celtics Beat. See you.